Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket. I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to talk to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. A record or a book or a film or a TV show they return to again and again because they know it will never let them down. These sort of warm, safe places. Not guilty pleasures, but a thing that's just so genuinely good that it makes you feel that anything is possible and the world is a brilliant place. This time I'm talking to the actor Ingrid Oliver. Ingrid is probably best known for her comedy work, particularly alongside Lorna Watson. She's appeared in loads of TV and radio, and she's probably most recognisable for playing Osgood, the scarf-wearing, asthma-inhaler-toting unit sidekick in Doctor Who. And she has chosen for her comfort blanket, The Goonies. film Goonies or The Goonies. I have indeed. This is brilliant news because excitingly Goonies, despite it being a massive film from our respective childhoods, is a film I've never seen. I find that extraordinary. I really do. Uh, But yeah, my my partner hasn't seen it either. uh, And I find that extraordinary. How have you managed to miss it? I think this is a film and we'll talk about this. There's a film that is age specific. Yes. And if you are exactly the right age for it, you'll have seen it. It will yeah. go into your blood and it will be part of your, you'll have tattoos and it'll be part of your DNA. <laughs> and if you're one year too old for it, you'd have gone, that's for kids. I do. Yeah. I might be, I think I'm slightly older than you. And I do, I have a, t- I don't have a tattoo, but I do have a t-shirt. I do have a Goonies t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. It's, I'm I think, a grown woman. <laughs> I think it hits you exactly that age. And either you're, you're too young for it or you're too, it belongs to a generation, I think. Yes, that's certainly true. But it's on every Christmas. It's sort of, I feel like it's on every Christmas. Yeah. I think I made a decision that I'm slightly older than you. And I think my thing was, I been to see Raid of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And Raid of the Lost Ark was the most grown up film I'd ever seen in my life. And yes. I went, man's head explodes at the end. I think you'll find it's a bit much, bit rich. The rich if you're, to my little brother's game. You might find this a bit hard. In fact, I delayed showing it to my kid for years. It's a bit, a bit grown up film, quite an adult film. About, yeah, you want to leave it a couple of years probably. Yeah, it's, it's quite a serious themes. Uh, and then this came out and it clearly was the younger brothers and sisters version of Raiders. It was a big like adventure romp, but aimed at maybe kids two years too young for Raiders. And I went, that's for kids. So every time it came on TV, I went, that's not really for me. Uh, and I've done it to my great age now until you said, let's watch it. And I went, I'm an idiot because it's a Steven Spielberg film from the pomp of Spielberg. Why haven't I seen it? Yeah, I mean, Steven Spielberg, Chris Columbus and Richard, and Donner. Richard Donner. So it's the dream team. It's sort of extraordinary. <laughs> I, I get, but you know, when you're a kid and you watch it, you don't really know who any of those people are and you, it, that, that doesn't factor yeah. at all. But watching it, because I watched it uh, again for prep. Uh, very good. Come, Thank you. Coming on here. And, and I just, and I, I don't think I was quite aware... I knew Spielberg was involved. I don't think I'm quite aware of the, the level of people involved with it. Yeah. But it makes total sense because it's the best film of all time. Reclusive scavenger claims I have the key to one-eyed Willie. Wow, you guys realise what we could do? Nobody ever found nothing, you guys. I mean, why do you think this map would be up here in this attic when it could be in some safety deposit box somewhere, right? That's right. And anyway, if Chester Copperfield didn't find it, how would we find it? But what if? You guys, just what if this map could lead to one eye with these rich stuff? Maybe. Then we wouldn't have to leave the goondocks. Come on, Mike. I don't want to go on any more of your crazy goonie adventures. I was really surprised. I was surprised I hadn't seen it before. I just wanted to manage to avoid it. 
because it is so culturally big. And also the other thing about these films is that this is from a period where this stuff, this factory blockbuster entertainment is coming out, like Back to the Future and Ghostbusters and this enormously expensive, well-made family stroke kids movies where only a few years earlier you're watching The Cat from Outer Space or The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes or Condor Man, the things that Disney were putting out. Also excellent films. But also ones that you kind of, you wouldn't sit down with a kid and go, (laughs) this is the definitive movie. Yes. The quality shot. If you try to watch One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing with a Child, you'll understand what you put up with as a kid until this hugely expensive, they started throwing huge amounts of money at entertaining kids. And this is from the peak of that period with three guys who do that brilliantly. It's very interesting because actually thinking about when you asked me to come on and thinking about exactly what a comfort blanket is and what it means to me and that I suppose it means a film that I've watched many, many times and find joy in every time I watch it. Because there are films that I, if, if they're on, I'll watch always like Goodfellas, but I yeah. wouldn't necessarily describe that as a comfort blanket. Yes. There's an element of nostalgia, obviously, I think involved in, in watching something that is comforting because it reminds you of a time. Are you attempting to recapture what it felt like the first time you watched it? I actually don't remember the first time I watched Goonies. I, I was trying to remember. But <laughs> in just, utero. But, but yeah, no, I just somehow had always watched it. Um, I, I genuinely don't remember. I really was trying to think if I'd seen it at the cinema. I don't think I did. I was eight, so I would have, because I'm 45 now. How old are you? I am in my 50s. So You're I'm, not. I am. I'm Listeners, he looks very young. I moisturise. It's fine. He looks great very for his age. Important. But yes, which um, is why oh, I was yes. slightly too old for it. Of course you are. I was, that makes I was sense. crucially, I'm uh, 52, so I was just slightly too old for it. I, uh, I genuinely thought you were younger than me. So yeah. yeah, of course it makes sense that you wouldn't have watched it uh, the first time around. But I, yeah, all those films that you just mentioned, things like Back to the Future or, you know, E.T. When was E.T.? When was E.T. again? I think it was 1982 and I got that right straight away. I didn't have to do it twice. <laughs> I didn't have to go and edit that out. I definitely knew it was 82. I nearly said 81. 81 is Raiders. Don't be a fool. Um, all those films, they could be described as comfort blankets. I, I mean, yeah. Back to the Future, I think, is one of the most perfect films of all, of yes. all time. But there's something about the Goonies, which I don't know if it's the, I mean, there's so many elements of it. There's sort of the soundtrack or just those actors, those kids, the story, uh, the sort of magic of it that feels like a warm hug every time I watch it. <laughs> Guys, look at this. Look at this. It looks like a skeleton or one-eyed willy or something. Yeah. Give me that. Give me this thing. We're talking about not being able to tease apart what appeals to you. Because sometimes if you love a film, the, the answer is really simple. Oh, I love this a lovely performance or I love this script or like the theme of it or whatever. But you're saying with the Goonies, it's a combination of everything coming together to make you feel safe and, and happy. I think so. I think, I mean, I, I know as a child, I was sort of obsessed with America and all things American. And so any kind of high school movies, which actually Goonies is not. Um, but there's, a, there's jock bullying and things. There's, 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 the, yeah, the there's background the of high school, isn't there? Yeah, in fact, the opening montage of the Goonies, which is where you sort of introduce, they introduce all the, all the kids um, individually, rather cleverly, while the credits, the sort of opening yeah. credits are rolling. You get a snapshot of American life and, and it's filmed in Oregon, I think. So it's kind of like a I was going to say it's not it's middle America. It's not middle America because it's literally on the coast. <laughs> but whatever the equivalent what? of coastal middle America is, it's a pirate it's story like a small set in town yeah. with a land ship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, you know, you, see, you sort of see America, that you yeah. see a, high, a glimpse of the high school yeah. and someone being, being a cheerleader. Okay, guys, let's try the victory pyramid. And there's a jock and the country club and all that stuff. So it's that that Americana that I was absolutely obsessed with as a child. I've forgotten that it was a huge deal. I'm, I'm talking to Pete Buffides about peanuts and how much the appeal of peanuts came from it being American and having Halloween and baseball and things in it. And you went, oh, it's exotic. Yeah. And I love that about, yeah, teen movies and certainly Spielberg land where this is set, yeah. where kids are on BMXs and they're cycling in the magic hour through down past houses bigger than you could live in that have big basements. Yeah. America was richer than we were at the time. And so it looked like a place, you, it was still aspirational. You wanted to go there. It wasn't just a place full of fascists and guns. And that's also very interesting, actually. I know this isn't a political podcast, but my love affair with America, I mean, I, you know, I moved to LA for a couple of years because I, I remember the first time I went to an American diner and I was about 12, I think. 
with my dad and just I couldn't believe I was in a diner. I'd seen it in so many films. And here I was ordering pancakes in, a, in an American diner that had a jukebox in it. And I, like, I was in absolute heaven. And I, I sort of go to America a lot because I, yeah, I don't know what the draw is. There's, there's a fascination there. I think from all these movies yeah. gr- growing up. And um, I, yeah, I lived in LA for a couple of years, but then Trump happened. And I sort of, yeah, I've, I think all of us have probably slightly... I mean, I still love it, but I, it's it's become a less exciting and sort of magical it place. It a bit, doesn't it? It definitely does. Especially if you grew up. I mean, I definitely, I remember that feeling of everything cool that I wanted to, to aspire to, with it, video games, being Matthew Broderick, all the things that were important <laughs> at that age. Um, but they all had this American, almost a fetishization, whether it was Greece or the Fonz or yeah. uh, the A-Team. It was the brashness and also the fact that they had loads of money. And there's an interesting thing, I think, around this time with films is the films coming out of America. Because you could go and watch a kid's film made by the Children's Film Foundation and it would be thoroughly charming and British or whatever. At the Odeon Cinema, Leicester Square, a daytime premiere of the children's films Fern the Red Deer and Glitterball, sponsored by the Children's Film Foundation, an organisation dedicated to bringing good family films to the screen. But there was something about how much money they mm. were spending. And the, the Goonies is just the biggest playset. It's the kind of filmmaking as all the Spielbergs were, as all the big George Lucas ones, they were just throwing enormous amounts of money, usually very often to make them in Britain. (laughs) But there was this feeling of just going, oh God, they've got so much money, it's so much better, their films are so much bigger. When you compared it to watching a children's serial on the BBC, which this is the famous five, they go on an adventure. You must be Julian, and this is Dick. Can you have a good journey? Yes, super. And have a raid with the station master to have your baggage sent out. So bring your bikes around the back and we'll go straight into tea. But that will be done on a low budget and this is enormous. Well, it's literally, if you th- and actually I hadn't thought about that, but if those films, like you've reached inside a child's head and you've recreated it because you have so much money to do that. Yes. You can literally make a pirate ship. You can you can have just a huge film set where you're, you've got water slides and caves and, and that's so magical as a child. You're like, oh, it's literally, it's like magic. I, I, you know, as an actor, there's been one occasion where I've walked onto a set and it was a Doctor Who set where it was literally sort of caves and alien pods. And you go, oh my God, I feel like I'm in the Goonies. I feel like, (laughs) I I feel like, or, you know, or Raise the Lost Ark. I actually feel like I'm in that kind of magical. Yeah. They've built you a toy set. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, you feel like a millionaire. Like it's the kind of thing that people will do. You've built your huge rumpus room. You can go and have fun. <laughs> oh, there's nothing to worry about, Andy. It's just a skeleton. Donna said he hid the pirate ship from the kids. You'll know this. You've seen the commentaries. But yeah, when he revealed it to them, that's the first time they'd seen it. And they wanted the first take of their reaction to that enormous pirate ship. And they had to recut it because Josh Brolin just swore. Because the first <laughs> word you'd say would be, Oh, well, you? I mean, you say that they cut it because Josh Brolin swore. What, rewatching it again this week with a sort of view to sort of coming on here to talk mm. about it, you sort of notice that rather than have it passively wash over you because you've seen it yeah. hundreds of times. I'm well, not hundreds of times. I'm not. I'm, listen, I mean, I'm a grown woman. I haven't watched the Guineas hundreds of times. That You're would fine. be weird. That well, would be weird. Week, the normal amount. Yeah, the normal yeah. amount. I mean, definitely yeah, probably over 20, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah. Which is um, a lot for a film. I, which you is always a lot forget, for a film. When you get people on this podcast, some people say it's my favourite film. I've seen it three times. Yeah, yeah, the idea of being—you don't have to be an obsessive for something to be your comfort blanket or for it to be your favourite film. Anyway, you've seen no, it loads. No, absolutely right. But yeah, I mean, as a kid, I certainly watched it probably weekly, and then as yeah. a, I mean, as an adult, less obviously. Um, <laughs> you got things to do. Yeah, you got things to do. It would get. I've got. I've got. To, I've got to earn a living. I can't be <laughs> sitting at home watching the Goonies all the time. I did watch in the pandemic, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people when they come on here, they probably talk about. You know, if yeah. it's the things that they rewatch in the pandemic to give you comfort. It did reveal people's. Yeah. Bottom line, a lot of the yes. pandemic, didn't it? Where do I need to go? Watching it again, you go, actually, it's quite, there's a loss of swearing. Yeah. in the I don't know which version you saw, but, the, but in the sort of unedited, uh, they, I think they had to move it from a PG racing to a 12 racing, because actually there's a lot of swearing. It's, it's shit heavy. It's, it's a lot heavy. of shit. Yeah, there, yeah, there's no fucks. There's definitely no fucks. Oh, shit, what? Oh, shit. Trying to all your bullshit story. Yeah, shut up. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Apparently they did a trick where they would, every time there was a swear, they try and synchronise it with a lot of noise, which is easy in the Goonies because it's a lot of noise, so they could bring the backing track up or the sound effects track up behind it 
to try and get so they could get away with it for cable. And obviously they didn't. They went, we can hear they're saying shit a lot. <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah, it's got a good amount of, which I imagine as well, if you watch it as a young kid, there's something really crucial with very often people's favourite films they loved as a kid is and you felt like you've been allowed to stay up late to mm. watch it. I knew we were trying to make it slightly a little harder edge than, you know, we talked about penises and, and swear words and, and telling them. Spanish housekeeper, these terrible obscene things. So it was a little more than a kid's film. No matter how much it's clear, this is clearly a film for kids, but you still feel it's a film for older kids, maybe for a cousin. Definitely. I mean, also, there's a, a real sense of adults, the adults in the room having fun. Yeah. With, in that way that kids don't understand uh, sexual references. Or, you know, I mean, literally the, the pirate, the ghost of the ghost pirate ship is called One-Eyed Willy. Yeah, they know what they're doing. So, that's why they call you One-Eyed Willy. One-Eyed Willy. Which is what a good family yeah. film should be. But I, I literally only realised that this week when I watched it again. I was like, oh my God, he's, he's called One-Eyed Willy. <laughs> and there's a joke about, you know, a statue. There's a, there's a point where Chunk knocks a statue over in, at the very, one of the very early scenes and it falls off a table and the Willy comes off. Oh, you idiot, you put it on upside down. Mark, if God meant to do it that way, you'd all be pissing in your faces. It's fine to me. It's filthy. There's loads of... Filthy references. So, it's, yeah, it's slightly more grown up than I remembered, which is part of the thrill, of which course, Which is what when you're kids kid. are. I mean, that's the one of the things that's really interesting about kids, I think, having having a kid and listening in on them, especially now in a way you couldn't do years ago. My kids are always on headphones talking yeah. to their friends, so I get to hear what they talk about in the playground. And they talk about five or six years older than you think they are. They're polite to you because yeah. they know they're getting in trouble. But the effing and jeffing that goes on when they're playing um, Minecraft is insane. And I think that kids really respect a movie that says, you know I know the rude words. And in fact, I'd like to see kids like me using those rude words between each other, which you do years before yeah. you admit to your parents, you know, all the rude yeah, words. Yeah, of course. And there's a funny story. The young boy who played Data, Kei Kwan. Yeah, he, he apparently, his mum, <laughs> this is all on the, there's a, there's a, a, an, on the DVD commentary, which, which is- Which you, of I, course, have watched. Oh, of course I have, because I got the special edition uh, DVD. Um, <laughs> I would highly recommend people buy that if they're interested in watching The Goonies, because on digital streaming services, you don't, you don't get the extras no. and like that. And it is literally the cast, all of them, in 2001, sitting oh, in the room lovely. watching the film. And the energy has not changed. It's, it's chaos. They're all talking over each other. <laughs> Um, and, and beautifully, Sean Astin is filming Lord of the Rings. He's just oh started filming Lord of the Rings. At one point, he has to leave the commentary. And everyone goes, oh, bloody, bloody Sean Astin. Because he's, well, they don't talk like that, obviously, because yeah. they're American. But he said, you know, Sean Astin, well, he's, he's filming Lord of the Rings. He's too big for us now. And you go, oh, God. I mean, Sean Astin hadn't really worked until after yeah. the Goonies. And then suddenly he was doing Lord of the Rings. And then Josh Brolin became Thanos. And caused all that trouble. I am inevitable. And caused all that trouble. So it was really sweet with this director's commentary where they haven't really quite fulfilled the potential of their Goonies. That's lovely. Years. And you know, watching it, that they're all going to, well, some of them are going to do very well. But yeah, sorry, sorry. That was a very long-winded way of saying data. In this commentary, he talks about how his mum was very strict and would not let him swear. And she's like, I don't care if you're right. filming, if they ask you to swear, you're not allowed to swear, you <laughs> mustn't swear. But all the other kids were swearing and he really wanted to swear. So he, the way he figured out to get around it, there's one point where he goes, holy S-H-I-T. Yes. <laughs> My mum can't have a problem with that because I'm just spelling totally it. it's totally in character. Yes. And it's lovely. I, what, what this film is, the first time I watched it, I wrote down two notes on my first watch through. One, my God, it's noisy. Yeah. Which is exactly what kids want. Everyone's talking at once. Yeah. It's, it's another note I made, which is which bears out exactly what you said. This is a film that kids would make. Yeah. <laughs> it's got no adult heart to it. It is a child's heart, and it's, which means it's not cynical. Yeah. Weirdly, I think one of the things that Spielberg is really good at is doing uncynical films, which is why people love him, because he's a very, very successful guy and a very, very mainstream uh, success, but it never looks like he's doing something cynical. He's got access to his child's heart. And as a producer on this, he said to everybody, including... Grumpy old 55-year-old Richard Donner, get your inner child out. It's probably the most gratifying experience because it's an odd sort of a way. Uh, a lot of their energy and excitement is rubbing off on me. And uh, it's, it's very, very, very gratifying. And it looks like if you gave a child $100 million, what do you want to build a pirate ship? What are the characters going to be like? There's going to be loads of them. What are their characters? They're all going to talk at once. They're all going to shout. They're going to go on a water slide. 
I mean, yes, the, the, the noise actually, the, yeah, the sound editing is extraordinary. How they did it, I don't but know. That sort of confused. It's, it's quite. I think because, as you say, there's so it's chaos because it's just yeah. kids improvising a lot. They're talking over each other. You have to re. I, I watched it and for your first time round, I hadn't seen it. I had to rewind a lot. Yeah, I should have put the subtitles on. That would be the perfect thing. Oh but yeah, they probably would have covered the whole screen because they're all overlapping. These are untrained actors. I think only two of them had made a sort of film before. Even Josh Brolin hadn't made a, yeah. a movie before. I think Kihai Kwan had done Indiana Jones. But it's fascinating how much there is just this relentless racket. So maybe there's some rich stuff. No, no rich stuff. Oh, oh, yeah. And it's and for the first good twenty minutes, half an hour. For anyone who hasn't seen the film, the first 20 minutes, half an hour is is the sort of inexorable pull of what's going to happen to these kids. Yeah. We set up their hometown life through a series of events. There's an inevitability yeah. to what happens, which is that they go on the search for this sort of pirate treasure and end up in all sorts of trouble. But that first 20 to 30 minutes is, is chaos because <laughs> because you have to set up that these bank rob these robbers, by the way, which is also a very adult thing. One of the first scenes is a man hanging who you think has hanged himself yes. in, a, in a prison. Which is not very children's film like. Hundred percent would not be allowed no. today. That uh, that really shocked me. I double checked and pressed play on the right film. Yeah, I know. Because it's it's uh, Rob Davi who's in like tough guy mo- movies and and he's hanging himself in a prison cell. And I went, oh, this isn't. Yeah. And also I went, oh my god, I've been completely unfair on this film. This is the opposite of a children's film. This says at the beginning to the kids watching it, we are not going to sugarcoat this. We're going to give you exactly the film that again, the film you'd write. Yeah. You've probably heard about this or seen it. You've probably stayed up late and watched some film you weren't meant to. Yeah. It's collaged together from unsuitable late night things they've stayed up to watch. And a lot of the kids in the film are watching old black and white movies, noir, gangster movies, pirate movies. And it feels like, like I think is true of a lot of the best stuff that Spielberg had a hand in. It feels like a collage of stuff that he grew up sitting in front of the TV watching that his parents went, it's a bit late. Bedtime. Don't watch the yeah. gangster movie. That's unsuitable for you. And then they've gone, it's all the forbidden stuff, the Sam is that stuff. We'll stitch it together and make our own version of it. Yeah. And, and also to that, to that, you know, the Steven Spielberg, as we've seen in his other family films, yeah. that darkness at the heart of it, which yeah. there always is, I think, um, you know, E.T., I'm thinking specifically. Yeah, yeah. And the, the darkness of the Fratellis in this yeah. film. They're very, I mean, it's a dark family. The, the, the abuse that the mother meets out to her sons. She, she's chained a sloth. You yeah. know, she's chained up her son who was disfigured at birth because she dropped him. I mean, it's so dark. Yeah. But the, also what I love about Spielberg and what he has a lot is, is that sort of slightly ineffectual parent, which is what yeah. the Goonies, their parents are sort of, you don't really see them. There's a bit, lot of absent parents in this and they're sort of not yeah. quite there. You're not quite sure. They, you piece together who they are and where and what their jobs are. Yeah. Exactly. As we said in Peanuts, the, the grown-ups are wah, wah, wah. They're just a voice off. Yeah. That is a mess. I want it cleaned up, boys. This is about the inner life of children. Bye, Mrs. Walsh. Bye. What it's also got, I think, which I think gives it its energy, and I think the uh, Richard Donner said this, it's a cartoon. Those baddies are the baddies who are in a Disney cartoon. They're Cruella de Vil, yeah. they're uh, Madame Medusa from The Rescuers. They're those big cartoon, over-the-top baddies. But when they're a cartoon that feels really safe, there's something quite dangerous about seeing them and being real people. Yeah. In a way that it is when you, if you read a Roald Dahl book, it feels moderately safe. As soon as you see Nick Rogue's The Witches, you go, this is scary. Nancy. Kids must have cleaned them out, man. Sure, right before they ate them. Stupid. Follow them size fives. When it looks realistic, and I think it's got all the logic of a million Disney films you've seen, like those things that happen in films that kids don't understand. All it is is we're going to take away your house. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what, that's where we move in we'll lose our house tomorrow. You shut up about that stuff, it'll never happen. My dad will fix it. Yeah, sure he will. If he gets his next 400 paychecks by tomorrow afternoon. That's wrong, Brandon. It won't happen. That standard Horiel the Love Bug plot is the driver for this. But but weirdly, with a real darkness to it. Yes. Yeah, so the first 40, 50 minutes, actually, of the film are not them in the magical bit, yeah. which is underground. It's them above ground. Yes. Laying, as you say, the groundwork, the plots going, this is why they have no choice. Yeah. But even if, even though their lives are in danger, I guess I guess you have to ask, when you're writing a script like that, you go, why would they not turn back? Yes. God, if he can make it out, and he was supposed to be an expert, what about us, guys? How are we going to get out of here? 
And the truth is, they brilliantly lay the first half an hour or so where they cannot turn back. There's a series of events that happen that sort of mean each time they're about to turn back, the Fratellis turn up. Yeah, yeah. Each time they go, oh, maybe, oh, I don't really want to do this. It's, a bit, it's, it's, it's safe. It's a bit dangerous. Let's go back. Something happens that means yes. they can't. You need to be driven on. You need to. Yeah. The, the plotting of this film is basically the opening of Road to the Lost Ark, where a ball starts rolling towards them. Yeah. And they're just running away from a ball for and the entire thing. And literal, <laughs> and actually there is a sort of almost literal ball in yeah. the caves when they get to the cave. They're sort of, they're big stones that fall. Yes. That means they can't turn back. so good at storytelling that era i think those scripts there's a point in the mid i suppose the midpoint essentially when they reach the fountain underground yeah the wishing well sorry and that's the first time they could actually escape if they wanted they're given to, the option to i thought given that was the a lovely to. bit of staging yeah. where there's a way of coming up and then you go they're going to decide do you go back or do you go on it's yeah. a classic bit of uh, that people talk about sort of mythic storytelling it's not it's just good hollywood storytelling yeah. at some point there has to be a thing where you go is this too dangerous because it's about kids. Yeah. You want to know they're safe. They can yeah. get away. Look how far we've come. we got a chance. Chance at what, Mikey? Getting killed? Look, if we keep going, someone's really going to get hurt. Maybe dead. Besides, we got to get to the police. Maybe Chunk already got to the police. Maybe Chunk is dead. Don't say that. Never say that. Goonies never say die. And then the next bit of it, where they're going to be in huge danger, you go, well, they chose to do that. Yes. This is about them being brave, not them being frightened. Exactly that. That makes... I got goosebumps. It's good, isn't it? I got goosebumps. But I think that's what you get from these, is you get this absolute Rolls-Royce team, because it's Christopher Columbus' script, who went on to do Home Alone, which is another great kids oh, left again. on their own, causing chaos. I get that maybe. was like almost... That's also a comfort blanket for me, but yeah. He does write in that style really well. Leave kids on their own and let them do unacceptable things. Yeah. Uh, what When mum's out, you get a Christopher Columbus screenplay. Uh, and then it's Richard Donner, who did Superman, who actually invented modern blockbuster cinema, directing yeah. it. And then Spielberg as a very hands-on uh, producer. So he's on set a lot. It, this felt a little bit like his relationship he's got with Poltergeist, where it's Topo's film. Uh, John Rain, who does Smirchpod, recently looked up where the two sets are for Poltergeist and E.T., and they are a 15-minute drive. No So way. Spielberg could be on both sets. He's no. very hands-on. And all the photos and promo material for this, partly to market it, I think. Spielberg's on set. And he directed some chunks of it as well. Spielberg looking over my shoulder all of the time, which I happen to love because I guess he's the biggest kid of them all and comes up with the best ideas. So he's completely, his brand's way through. He was going to direct it, but I think... And this is interesting. Uh, he said, I don't want to do it. I'll leave, I'll leave it to someone else. He gave it to Richard Donner. And he went off and made The Colour Purple. Wow. And the interesting thing about this is Spielberg's convinced that he needs to leave a legacy. He's always going off to make The Colour Purple, sort of, in my head, and not making the thing I think he should be making. Mm. And weirdly, no one's brought The Colour Purple on Comfort Blanket, because I think his legacy is films like this, not Schindler's List, even though it's great. He's really good at these. We're just making an ordinary adventure here. Ordinary fantasy. Nothing extraordinary happens in this picture at all. I mean, this reminded me again, you know, the, the involvement of, of Chris Columbus is probably no, no coincidence, yeah. but it reminded me of Harry Potter yes. in the sense of, for example, the music, the soundtrack to the Goonies is extraordinary. It is so brilliant and magical. <laughs> And it, I think the Harry Potter soundtrack is one of the is one of the best film soundtracks. Yes, of course you forget he he set the template for how those Harry Potter films yeah. were. It's the first two movies of Chris Columbus. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I, I think those films that are I was going to say there are kids films that are sort of just a kids film, but actually most Disney do it very well, obviously as well. Pixar and things like that. But it's that thing of, of there's a there has to be a heart to it, a dark not a darkness necessarily, but just a truth. Yes. It can be quite sad. Life can be quite sad. And scary and all of those things. But actually, if you have friends around you or love or bravery or any of those things, it'll be okay. These kids are all kind of like friends. They're all sort of outcasts. They need each other because the uh, more popular kids don't want anything to do with them. And they get bored one day and they have the most extraordinary adventure that any adult could possibly imagine. But the messages of these films, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of this. That if someone said, which, which screenplay should I study to become a great screenwriter? And I go, forget all the things that win Oscars. Because very often, their screenplays are kind of meandering and it's just the fact that they're beautifully directed or beautifully acted. You want to know how to write screenplays, just look at the first 10 Pixar movies. That's how you tell a story. And that's how you tell a story for a whole family to enjoy. There's nothing lesser in a film because it's aimed at eight-year-olds very often, eight-year-olds are quite demanding. Obviously, you can sit through some terrible bloody films with eight-year-olds they, they've got obsessed with, but the good ones that they keep watching and you'll take into your adulthood aren't usually crap. The storytelling and the themes and everything are as good as any adult film, and 
very often they are more efficiently crafted than the adult equivalent, which they, might be this meandering thing where someone's yeah. staring out of a window. They're crystalline. They're sort of yes. they're, they're, they're crystallized version. And actually, what's interesting, you watch when you watch these films as, as a child, yeah, you don't know why you understand the themes because you're not old enough to yeah. you haven't experienced loss necessarily maybe some some children have but these themes but for some reason they resonate you understand that they're universal truths they're sort of core you know in screenwriting you're often told that can you boil the story down to a yeah. a, a very primal motivational force that will keep the whole script yeah. on rails or you're grounded in something that people can relate to and yeah that's what disney is so and disney and pixar and, and these kind of Films like the Goonies are so good at doing. They ground it in something. There's a real, I mean, the simplicity of it is the beauty of it. I mean, when I wrote that note and said, this is a film children would make, it is about wish fulfillment. The wish fulfillment, I remember writing these stories when I was about seven. He was set an assignment by your teacher, write a story. And I went, and we went into the thing and we went to the thing and then that happened, then that happened. There was loads of traps and I was really brave. And at the end of it, there was treasure and I got the treasure and I took it home <laughs> and it was brilliant because then we could afford to go on holiday. And it's literally, this is the story the primacy and the simplicity of this story is really beautiful, which means that a child would understand it. See, one eyed Molly stole treasure once. It was for rubies and, and emeralds and diamonds. Diamonds. And he loaded it all up onto a ship and they sailed away into the sunset until the British king, see, he found out about it and then he set up this whole armada to go out after him. And then the armada, it took him a couple weeks, but then they caught up with Willie and, and then there was a whole big between the armada and Willie's ship, the Inferno, and th- during the firefight, there was just guns bursting here and cannons bursting there, and then Willie fled because he didn't want to stay around because he knew he'd get killed if he stayed around, and then he got into this cave, and, th- and then the British, they-, they blew up the walls all around him. But I reckon for a grown-up to write a story this simple, they've got to be really disciplined. You've got to shed all the the needless stuff. There are deleted scenes and deleted sequences from this yes. that when you hear about them, you go, oh, thank God they're not in there because yeah, yeah. they would be a disaster. Yeah. There was an octopus, apparently scenes with an octopus. There's an octopus fight. Or something. I looked fight. up on YouTube and watched the octopus fight and they're no. right to take it out because it does not look good. <laughs> I think it's in the DVD, but if you look at it really careful, it really wasn't a very well done piece of mechanics and I felt it didn't look real enough for the film. And at the end of it, Keogh uh, Grant comes out and says, uh, there was a fight with an octopus. What happened out there? Were your lives in danger? The octopus was more scary. Oh, yeah, octopus. it was more dangerous. And you go, this is brilliant, because earlier on, Chunk lied about their yes. adventures. And you go, oh, it's excitable kids. They tell a story. Oh, that's so great. And that's it works great. so beautifully. And it feels like in character, he's picked up this habit of lying about the adventures. But that was in there. The other sequence that was deleted was Steven Spielberg's Gorilla Chase. There's only work print footage of it. It's like really, really blurred video. There were gorilla scenes. Yeah. Steven shot them. Stephen loved the gorillas. And I said, you know, if you love them that bad, you shoot it. You know when they shake the pipes and it knocks everyone over at the country club? Yes. It also released two gorillas from the no. zoo. The two gorillas are two costumes that Warner's had left over from Greystoke, the, the Tarzan film that hadn't made any money. So they went, get some use out of the gorilla costumes. Spielberg oh. went, gorilla car chase. Put the two gorillas behind a golf car and then behind uh, Troy's fast red car. There's this footage of the gorillas having driving a car and causing all sorts of chaos no. as a subplot, and they turn up at the end. And at the end, the last thing of the Goonies, which is them emerging from the cave and meeting their parents again, Columbus did a reshoot. Originally, it was at their house, and the gorillas were going to drive past. And at the end, he said, I want it to be uh, by the sea so the ship can come out. So you arranged a reshoot, and there's a lot of suspicion that he went, we can get rid of the effing gorillas that way, yeah. can't we? So he reshot it without the gorillas. And they went, oh, Stephen, the gorillas don't pay off. We'll have to get rid of it. But Spielberg shot the gorilla chase and kept going, we've got to have a gorilla chase. Yeah. And you go, sometimes his sensibilities are 100% wrong. That is 100% what would have had Richard Donner absolutely fine- finesse that so yeah. he didn't have to. Just tidy uh, the gorillas up. Listen, boss man, I, listen, I, you know, I've looked at it. It's great. Yeah, and obviously I enjoy, I enjoy DT, but I have also seen 1941. And I sometimes you put gorilla chases in that you don't need. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't think the gorilla suits really worked as well as we would have liked them. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's interesting is the, the cleanness of the adventure. They go in a single direction. Yeah. Like, I mean, people criticise it, say so it's like a video game, as in like it goes from level to level. Goonies video game, if it came out now, would be astonishing. It would have been terrible in, in 1985. But it's got that propulsion of yeah. level after level after level. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great type of storytelling that kids like. Yeah. You get past, it's some chapters in Alice in Wonderland. She's going on a journey. Kids love stories that go a little thing, a little thing, a little thing. And, another thing. and at the yeah. end of it, there's a big brave challenge and you get the prize. Dad, it's my marble bag. The Fertilis forgot to check it. Save up the marbles and put the jewels in. We don't have to leave the goondocks. Uh, there'll be no more signing today or ever again. Also, I feel like while, while we're here, yeah, uh, let's we do should it. talk about a, another reason that I love this film. <laughs> oh, yeah, talk about a different film. Yeah. Well, we're here. Well, we're Let's here. talk about a different film. Got the mic set up. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's the um, sound of music. Yeah, you love that. I was going to say, yeah, I do, I do love the sound of music. Like yeah. I say, that was very close. That was that was almost that was a very close second. Um, the, I think one of the the main reasons that I love this film, apart from all those uh, aforementioned, um, is the performances of the children. Yes, they are absolutely extraordinary, and they stand the test of time. And they're like little adults. And it's in that in that way that American actors are so precocious and, and talented <laughs> in a way that we have, you know, we have very talented young British actors, but it's a completely different sensibility. It's a different style of acting. Yeah. Um, I remember a little anecdote about me now, um, just, just oh, to bring it back to myself. Thank God we've got that. I know, I know. I felt it's been too long since we've talked about me, uh, my, <laughs> my personal uh, anecdotes. Your journey. Um, I, I remember when I, when I was living in America and I did um, improv uh, at this school called UCB that Tina Fey and all that lot yeah. did. And we had sort of a British improv team. So it was all British people that were doing it. And our American coach would, be, would just say, I don't, we do an improv and sort of look at yeah. her expectantly like, huh, pretty good. And she goes, sorry, I don't understand what was going on in that scene. I don't understand what you want because you never say it. Yeah. Everything is, is sort of, you, you say the opposite of what you mean. <laughs> it's all sort of done through polite, passive aggression. Whereas, subtext. Subte exactly that subtext. <laughs> Whereas Americans and American, you know, actors, improvisers, it's like, it's all front footed. You yeah. say what you're thinking, you say it loud. And then, and that's where the sort of energy and humor comes from. Yeah. So these young kids who are sort of lost, a lot of the stuff, I think, I mean, it, it was a script, but they sort of improvised as well quite heavily, I think. They're just unapologetically brash in a, charming way. There are bullets flying all over the place. It's the most amazing thing I ever saw. More amazing than the time Michael Jackson came over to your house to use the bathroom. More amazing than the time you saved those old people from that nursing home fire. Yeah, right? and I bet it was even more amazing than the time you ate weight in Godfather's Pizza, right? Okay, Brand. Michael Jackson didn't come over to my house. He's a bathroom. But his sister did. Yes, yeah. there's enormous energy and they, they want things. They really, I mean, in the most crude way, we can talk about how problematic it is that the amount of fat shaming that's in it. But my God, that's an easy character to follow. For sure. He wants chocolate. He, and he yeah. goes, that's Roald Dahl, that's absolutely fine. And he appears to deal with it okay. I mean, Jeff Cohen, who played Chunk, uh, is now hilariously an entertainment lawyer in yeah, LA. Yeah. So he's he's not, he didn't carry on with the acting. And he talk, he's talked about, you know... I mean, he's very charming about it, and and I don't think it scarred him necessarily. But he certainly he would say th in this in this extras commentary, he he says, you know, wow, fat guy in a Hawaiian shirt and plaid trousers, he loves chocolate. That's a, a really breaking uh, stereotypes there, Richard Donner. And Richard Donner's there, and yeah, they all yeah. sort of laugh um, about it, and he laughs about it as well. But but I definitely I, I know that he felt uncomfortable doing the, the the famous scene that everyone, even if they haven't seen the film, knows the the truffle shuffle. Yeah. First, you gotta do the truffle shuffle. Come on, do it. Come on, do it. Wobble your belly. Yeah, and he had to, bless it, he had chicken pox apparently. Oh no. And he didn't what, tell anyone because he didn't want to get fired off the film because it was one of the first scenes. So he had chicken pox scars oh all over him. That makeup made me feel had, more sorry know, for him. It was awful. And, and, they, and so makeup <laughs> had to cover them up and they, he was all secretive. And so, so not just the shame of sort of having yeah. to do that, 
also you've got chicken pox and you don't want to tell anyone about it because he felt uncomfortable. I think Richard Donner, he cleared the set. So it was, it yeah. was, a, it was a, a, you know, intimacy coordinator for a shuffle shuffle. I know exactly <laughs> that. But, um, but still, as you say, watching it through today's eyes, you get, oh, I don't know if that feels But very- it's a funny one that because what they're doing, Oh, that, that scene as well, I watched it because I hadn't seen it before. And I went, oh, what they're doing, they're bullying him. They're bullying him as the fat kid, yeah. which to be honest, is in the Bass Street Kids. It's stuff. You put a gang of kids together in a really old fashioned 1930s comics kind of way. There's a fat kid. There's a brainiac. They've got the characters from a comic book. Yes. The, uh, I think the Burger King Kids Club characters fit roughly over the Goonies. There's a fat <laughs> one. There's one who's the brains. So they're bullying him. And you go, well, normally that would be in a film maybe five, ten years later. He would get his revenge on the bullies. It would be about nerds. Uh, if you're making Freaks and Geeks or a Paul Feig movie, the fat kid who gets bullied will get his revenge by being the cool kid at the end. But weirdly, that's the state of their friendship. Their friendship involves meanness and bullying. And there's a sort of brash honesty to it, going, kids are like this sometimes. When they let him into the clubhouse, then suddenly he's accepted because he's done the humiliating thing. And you go, it's a little bit like sort of saying, will you put your hand in a bucket of poo? It's a challenge to get into the clubhouse yes i mean and it's if chunk wasn't who chunk is you would feel that that was a misstep probably even for those times i think but he is so you know you don't know what's going on in in the actor's life but he is so secure that that character is so secure in himself and so funny and probably the funniest character that actually you don't sort of get oh bless him he's he's sort of a victim here that's the american thing with the force of the characters means that if someone has bullied someone and forced them to become an introvert, yes. to the extent they look like a British person, uh, <laughs> then it might be awkward. But because he then is as big a personality as Mouth, the guy actually called Mouth, they're giving each other a lip backwards and forwards. You feel that that humiliation, he doesn't spend the rest of the thing shuffling about going, I can't go in the cave because you said I was fat. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's not a, a culture I particularly subscribe to no, or would like to encourage. Of course. But um, it doesn't appear to do any damage. And it's because of the brashness and confidence of the performances, they seem to be okay. And because they, they all take take the mickey out of each other for various yeah. different things. So as you say, it's it's just more that gang of people, which also let's talk, you know, the fact that it's a gang of boys, actually. Yeah. I know the two girls come in a bit later, but yeah. it is essentially a, a, a gang of boys and the way that boys talk to each other, which is probably uncomfortable for, for because girls, I mean, I certainly the girls that I went to school with, we didn't. Actually, that's not true. I'm going to take that back. There is bullying. There's bullying. Uh, it was psychological, any, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one made you stand on, it it, on a stump and do a truffle well, shuffle. Some, no, true. They did. But, no, they didn't. But I mean, some of it. Psychologically, was, they did. Yeah, psychologically. Exactly that, which is almost Psychological worse. truffle shuffle. That's yeah. the worst The sort. psychological <laughs> truffle shuffle. Um, but yes, yeah, so, but there's an honesty. Again, there's a truth to those relationships. They're not just sort of sweet little children sort of going, yeah. let's go and solve the adventure and save our mummy and daddy. They're, they're, the Goonies are not goodies. I think the thing that maybe kids find brashly refreshing about it is it's got that thing. I was, I'm always interested in this because I don't like bullying, obviously, and I was bullied at school. So I go, this is a bit triggering. Yeah. But on the other hand, you look at it and you go, this is the relationship that men have in army platoons. Yes. Very often, some of it is to do with teasing. That's why they're all called things like taffy and fatty and things in war movies. Yeah. And it feels like something that maybe the next generation won't do as much. But certainly back then, when you wanted to sort of establish what a gang was, they sort of tease each other a bit. Yeah. I get you right now. What did you feel watching this as a kid, the fact that it was a gang of boys? Um, I, in that way that when you don't, I imagine when you, when you don't have representation because you're used to it, the default being, you know, white men, that, that that just becomes your universal. So I didn't look at it and go, oh, that's boys. I wish I could be like a boy. It's like, oh, those are children my age in a gang. It sort of didn't occur to me that they were boys. Actually, I literally, ha- I just hadn't really thought about it. That's that amazing. they were boys. There's that blinkedness to it and the feeling that, it would have looked wildly exotic. Probably not the fat kid wouldn't have felt exotic, but having uh, Kia Kwan in there would have felt like, hey, they've really made, they, that's diverse as hell, yeah. that gang of seven people but with when one you're a person. Kid, yeah, but, I know, but, when, but also when you're a kid, of course, it's not, those things are not considerations when you're yeah. a child, maybe. But you didn't have a relating problem. We didn't go, I'm waiting for Martha Blimpton to turn up before I can find someone to root for. No, because also they were old, well, they were older than I would have been at the time and sort of quite mouthy and uh, into <laughs> boys. And I was a bit like, oh, I know, damn boys and kissing. I don't, ugh, I don't know about that. Their appearance marked the start of the, like the kissy wissy stuff, and I was like, "Ugh!" Do you have to look away? Yeah, like, "Oh, no, gross." Um, <laughs> go back to the pirate stuff. Um, but then, but obviously, as you, as you watch it when you're older, then then you sort of relate more to the yeah. to those girls. Okay, you kiss now. Tell. There's something weird. What? What is it? Does 
Brown wear braces. <laughs> I was in love with Sean Astin. I think that's that was a, that was quite key. That was your way. I thought in. Sean Astin was he's, so dreamy. He's lovely. In he's this. so cute. It's really Samwise, nice. Samwise Gamgee. But him, little tiny things, giving him a little asthma inhaler is a beautiful touch. Do you know what? You're watching it again this week. I was like, oh, he's got an asthma inhaler. I had an asthma inhaler in Doctor Who. Doctor Excuse me. I'm going to need my inhaler. I so hate it when I get one with a defect. Oh, it's cool. So my, my character in Doctor Who was called Osgood, and she, in that way... That when sometimes people write a character that they want to be slightly vulnerable yeah. or people to underestimate or something, you you give them an inhaler. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's a sort of trope, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and also because most writers have that. That's yeah, why you I mean, write I did. It. Were you indoors a lot? Yes. Yes, but I mean, I, I had I had asthma as a, as a child, which then Me too. cleared up. Asthma club, there you asthma go. Asthma club, yay. Yeah, childhood um, asthma, really Yeah, fun. People, in, people who watched it said I didn't use the asthma inhaler properly. I was like, I definitely did, because I definitely used to use one when I was a kid. Oh. Um, but but yeah, watching Sean Astin, I was like, oh, yeah, asthma club. I, <laughs> I, 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 I think I was channeling uh, Sean Astin in Doctor Who. It's a great prop, because you can use it like a pipe. <laughs> yeah, and, for, and, and, and actually in the Goonies... Well, which is probably maddening for people with asthma. They sort of go, it's it's a sign that he's mollycoddled by his mother, which is why you get the sense that he's not really allowed out very yeah, much. Yeah. He's, he has no life of adventure because um, his parents are worried that he's not physically strong enough. So it's, of course, about his internal journey that he, he goes, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to have an adventure. Yeah. And he gets braver and stronger as it goes on. And by the end, I think in the in the last scene, he he's he's about to go for his and every, every time he's scared all the way through the film, he gets the inhaler yeah. out. And in the last scene, he he gets his inhaler out, looks at it, and he went ah. He goes nah nah and throws it over his shoulder as I'm though he's now. suddenly cured of his uh, his lung condition <laughs> um, just by being brave. Um, that's all it requires. Yeah, what it says that people with asthma are cowards. <laughs> yeah. Message: Fat people need to be bullied, and people with asthma are cowards. Exactly that. Powerful message for children everywhere. <laughs> God, it's actually an awful film. My yeah. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It. Yeah. So that's why they call you One-Eyed Willie. One-Eyed Willie. We had a lot in common, huh, Willie? Yeah, what's really lovely about this film is the amount of effort and care that's gone into it. And I think it's one of the things that the hallmark of these uh, this era was, as a kid, I've talked about this before when we were doing the Ladybird books, and I said the great thing about Ladybird book is it looked like someone had really worked hard to make you happy as a kid. Yeah. So every time you got this, it's like a treat, and it was like someone's not given you a shitty present, they've given you a beautiful present, they've really worked hard on it. And things like the production design, the direction, the fact that these are all serious people who've made brilliant things and they're making a film whose only purpose is to delight children by saying, would you like to fantasise about going on a big adventure with a pirate ship and loads of treasure at the end? Yeah. And there'll be a water slide and everyone will be great. They've spent so much time and money on it. And that final set with the Inferno, the ship, 105 feet long, in the biggest set in Burbank, they filled it with water. Not a cent has been spared to say that they've, they want you to be happy. Yeah. There's a lovely feeling about that. When these films used to arrive, they felt like a treat. I talked to my kid about this a lot, saying, that you don't realise now you get a Marvel film every couple of months. Yeah. There was one of these a year. Yeah. And it was like Christmas when it arrived. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was thinking about how, how that must have been to film. So if you were one of the kids who yeah. were in this gang, and, and, and Richard Donner, by and large, or Dick Donner, as Dick. he refers to himself, uh, or referred to himself, I should say, passed away, didn't he, last year, I think it was, sadly. Yeah. Um, he filmed it in sequence as much as Did possible. He? Yeah. So I think... I think Largely because he was dealing with child actors, and so yeah. it's it's just easier if you do it sequentially, uh, so they sort of understand what's going on in, in each. Also, it, he's a logistics maniac because he was made to make two Superman films at once. Really? Yeah, Superman one and Superman two are made back to back. He is someone who can do impossible logistics and uh, production and things. So, saying film an adventure film exactly in order because you're dealing with seven children, he'll he's do like, it. Yes, please. <laughs> um, but but what's so interesting is. I, yeah, I thought how fun. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't fun. I, you know, they, they would have been wet for long periods of time and and in the darkness in in sort of an in yeah. a, a dark studio. But but it must have been amazing. The water slides, the pirate ship stuff. But then I thought, you know, poor Jeff Cohen, who plays Chunk, who actually for most of the well majority of the film is 
with the Fratellis. Yes. In a dank basement uh, and, and with Sloth in a dank basement. He misses and so he, all the yeah, fun. Yeah, he doesn't really get to do any of it and certainly not with that gang of kids. So he I can- find it, it's interesting. Maybe that's why he of all of them was the one that sort of left acting and didn't really, didn't romanticise that, that film as much because he wasn't really part of the gang yeah, um, he doesn't get to have the ride. He's he's the damsel in distress in a sort of weird way. And they, they although send, he saves the although he saves the day. Although they send him off to sort of go and get the police and things like that. So yeah, he has the independent story, not the damsel in distress. He's he's like um, he's like Scooby, uh, Shaggy, and Velma. He's checking out the cellar yes. while, while Fred and uh, and Daphne are having fun upstairs. Oh, that's split the gang up. You know, also, you, yeah. know you don't see Fred and, and Daphne till the end again. They've had some fun. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But, so half the gang have been on an adventure. Yeah, you're right. He's he's outside the main action. Yeah. Um, and everyone else you can hear is overexcited. Weirdly, he's getting some great acting stuff. He's getting to do that lovely thing. Oh Tell us everything. Oh, God. That Those scene is scenes. so brilliant. It's so brilliant. Hey, kid. I want you to spill your guts. Tell us everything. 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 That, that's, again, again, that thing of just those actors. How you're... I do not understand how you're that good an actor at that age. It makes me very angry. <laughs> it's third grade. I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle Max's toupee and I glued it on my face when I played Moses in my Hebrew school play. Confidence. Confidence. And, and you're not filtering yet. You're not sort of self-conscious yet. In fifth grade, I knocked my sister Edie down the stairs and I blamed it on the dog. But that's not true. As a kid, you are self-conscious, I think. But, but there's a sort of, yeah, youthful exuberance that just means they can just go for it. What the worst thing I ever done... I mixed up all this fake puke at home, and then I went to this movie theater, hid the puke in my jacket, climbed up to the balcony, and then, then I made a noise like this. There's a showing off thing, I think, that must be really hard to edit around. Because kids showing off is a little bit cringy sometimes. We've all been to see, like, I don't know, nativity plays with the kid who shows off is the one who ruins it. So you're telling, like, a load of very confident kids to show off, and he's edited around it. And made it so you want to watch them rather than you want to turn them off. Yeah, which is incredible. I mean, but they're I funny. I mean, they're 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 genuinely funny. Ch- and the line, yeah. obviously, there's a script and the lines are great. But they are their comic timing is absolutely extraordinary. And the energy of it. Just yeah. is, oh, whenever you read interviews with with Dick Donner, I'm, I'm, I have a theory about this, which is that Spielberg was going to make it, and then he passes it on and says, "I'll find someone to make it," and he finds 55 year old Richard Donner who has said. I hate kids. <laughs> and I tried to check. I looked at his obituary. I don't think he left any kids behind. I don't think he's even got kids. I think he and his wife, who's a Hollywood producer, I think they've been forced to make a film with kids. And it does feel like it's a joke by Steven Spielberg to say, who's the one person who will not be able to manage a room full of kids? Uh, I think the uniquest part of working with kids in uh, this many kids in the film is that every night I'm contemplating suicide. Because Spielberg's pranky. There's that great story where towards the end of the, the shoot, He's really exhausted. He's herding cats. Every time you do a shot, they want to do something different because they've just got this energy. So you can't get any matching edits. Everything's take after take after take and you're trying to catch the lightning in a bottle to get these kids to do it. He's exhausted by the end of it and he says to his, his missus, all I want to do is finish this shoot, leave those kids behind and go to Hawaii. I want to go to Maui. Where we go and I'm going to go relax. And he goes to Maui and he arrives at Maui and on his lawn is Josh Brolin. No. And then all the other kids turn up and Spielberg has flown them there as a treat. Kids suck. After we finished the recording, I found that someone had uploaded genuine camcorder footage of the Goonies ambush of the exhausted Richard Donner. What the hell are you doing here? Do you want to go on, go on holiday with Dick Donner? And all the kids have turned up and they said, we had a really good party that night. And you get the feeling going, this was all a prank to annoy Richard Is Donner. Is true? Yeah, 100% true. They, they tell that story from two different, I've heard it from Richard Donner, I've heard it from the kids. They all wow. said, oh, we had that brilliant thing where we went for a barbecue at Richard Donner's house in Hawaii. <laughs> We're only staying till tomorrow morning, Dick. Weirdly, it's now reminded me, you and me sitting here talking, where I think up in Edinburgh once, we left you with all our children once. Yes. Yeah. Well, you didn't leave me. It wasn't you it was pre-arranged yeah, it and I did an volunteer. Yeah. But it was that thing. You were Richard Donner and we said, do you want to have all the kids for a day? And you were great. 
But we've kind listen, of dicked Donoji quite hard. You did well. Listen, they were absolutely delightful. <laughs> they, they disappeared off for a couple of hours. No idea where they went. <laughs> they came up with loads of treasure. Yeah, <laughs> wet. Yeah, really talking very excitedly, very excitedly about <laughs> octopus fights or something. I don't know, but um, but yes, yeah, so no, they were an absolute delight. But it does look like it's a huge babysitting exercise. This is ridiculous. It's- Crazy. I feel like I'm babysitting except I'm not getting paid. You do get the feeling that Richard Donner was very tired by the end of the shoot and the craft of getting all that chaos bottled. Yeah. So it goes in a single direction. We've seen loads of films that were a hoot to make. Yeah. That are unwatchable. Yeah. And this is very watchable. It is. It's so watchable. And, and, and it is. And it must have been exhausting. And the, the, just the harnessing the energy of those children <laughs> on, on screen you know, we've got an energy crisis going on. Harness that kind of power. Yeah, and we, that's how you do yeah, it. Yeah, you power at least two countries with that. The lights were rigged. They were just wired up to the kids. <laughs> wired up to the kids, to Corey Feldman, um, <laughs> who I love very much. Um, Not as much as Sean Astin. Let's have them in order. Yeah, Sean Astin. And I mean, Sean Astin, I just had a big, big crush on him. You have this sort of incredible madcap energy, but there are moments, of course, as they have to be in a film, uh, the, the quiet, quiet moments. Yeah. And a lot of those fall to Sean Astin. Uh, yes. There, there's a t- two or three, I think. Moments where he sort of he sort of whispers to camera. He's like, Andy goes first, I go second. Steph and Mikey go Chester third. Copperpot. Andy, you go fourth. Chester Copperpot. Chester Copperpot. We got yeah. this, guys. This is you know this is our time down here. This is our time. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. He's he's so good. Uh, Rich Don apparently used to say the thing he used to shout at the kids all, all the time was "big eyes, big eyes." He yeah. wanted big eyes from all the kids all the time. And Sean Astin has incredibly expressive eyes. Yeah. And and um, there's the bit right at the end where he where he finally comes face to face with the skeleton of One Eyed Willie. Yeah. <laughs> and he has a moment on his own, and he just sort of addresses him, and he's crying. He start he wells up and starts crying. Yeah. And I listen. I don't know how that kid did it because I've tried to do that myself, and it is—it's impossible Richard to do. Donna, it. Richard Donner comes over and pokes you in the eyes. Yeah, that, that's, what it, that's what I needed. That's yeah. what I needed. But but I know how hard that is to do—to yeah. be that unselfconscious and in the moment that you're sort of you can you can just have that sort of show of pure emotion. And he's so adorable, and his eyes are sort of welling up, and it's heartbreaking. It's like Henry Thomas in that audition where he's just crying. There's something so affecting, obviously, about a child crying anyway. That, yeah. that, that beautiful. The innocence. Um, but so much is on his shoulders. I think that's the thing that when you look at it and you, you've got your gang and in the middle of it, you've got, I mean, they're all little archetypes and they're, they're, there's the guy in the middle who's they, a guy with an inhaler who's the weak kid who's got to become brave. The other guys can have a ball. They can have a party. They can just be the sidekicks um, and they can have their own energy. But the kid who's driving the bus, there's a load on his shoulders to make you believe this nonsense. Yeah. And again, that's something Spielberg said, he said about Raiders, he said, within the first 30 seconds, you've got to buy the terms of this film. The terms are, it's going to be a bit far-fetched, but are you on board with me? And he said, and all that falls on the, the shoulders of the guy driving it. If you believe that guy wants the thing he wants, you'll go with it. And I think Sean Astin completely has that. You go, oh, I'm on the adventure with you, and I believe it's important to you. And every time it goes in close and your eyes go big, I am with you completely. Don't you realise? The next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. He's selling the impossible, improbable thing where there'll be an octopus fight. Yeah. He's selling it. Or at the end of it, won't be an octopus fight because that was a step too far. (laughs) (laughs) I made it. I beat you. I got here in one piece. Yes, you're exactly right about what you say about the 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 central character that has to sort of ground the whole film and that you have to buy and believe in like, so, he, so like, like Michael J Fox in Back to the Future yes, totally. there's a sort of innocence every man youthful naive energetic that those American films were so good at I can't think of what, what were the big like, what, just in terms of UK films British films what were our big what, did we have any big children's well we were making them for everyone else well, the point is, of course, that, that, what happened back in those days is that because the pound it might happen again because the pound had collapsed we were mm. a third world country so they just came over and used all our crews mm. the reason that, that we were a good film industry at the time. We were making things for these Americans. But again, they came over and they brought that brashness, that confidence, that energy that we didn't have. Yeah. Um, and I think as a kid, you watched it and went, why can't I live there? What I thought watching these as a kid was, I, I want to go and make them. I remember having that a real unique feeling about them. I didn't want to be in the Goonies. I wanted to be on the set of yeah. the Goonies. It was definitely a thing that you went, because you watch those making of documentaries that would be on or Blue Peter would go for a set visit. And I'd watch it and go, I want to be there. That yeah. looks amazing. 
what it looks like is they're having a, a ball, not necessarily going on the adventure looking for treasure. It looks like they're having a ball making a movie. Yeah. I thought that about, about Back to the Future and Ghostbusters. This looked like fun to make. That's a really interesting distinction. And actually, I think, I, in fact, I know when I, you know, growing up, I would sit and just watch films yeah. and watch films like The Goonies and I watch films like E.T. and I would, and Back to the Future and Indiana Jones over and over again. And I think that's where my love of, yes, this business we call show uh, started because exactly that. I wanted to be part of that world. And the only way you can get to be part of that world is to be on set. And yeah. so acting, I suppose, is all comes from that. And I still, like I said about Dr. the Dr. T thing, but every time I'm on set, I'm actually, this is amazing. I'm wearing clothes that have been, I, I, these aren't my clothes. They're a character's clothes. Amazing. And I'm talking to somebody and that's not, that's not their real name. They're actually called something else, but we're making this, we're in this world of make-believe together. And that to me, I still feels like a privilege every time I do it. And that sounds very soppy, but it's, but it's true. The ability to maybe give somebody the pleasure that I had watching film yeah. and television growing up. That's, that's kind of. It is magical. You can see it as certainly there's a, there really is a straight line through with this, especially with people. We're the first generation who got to repeatedly watch VHSs again and again and turn them into our comfort blankets like this. Because otherwise, if it wasn't on the cinema, you didn't get to go and see yeah. it. Or you could, it was really hard to watch things over and over again. But we're definitely a generation that have come to want to pass that on. That's what you see when you see Mark Gatiss endlessly remaking the things he loved as a kid. Or remakes of films at all, that they are, which people seem to think is a really bad thing. And then you look at this generation's films, the Spielberg films and the Lucas films, they're all versions of things they watched when they were kids in the 30s. They're trying to pass it on. I got an idea. What is it? What? I saw this on the Hardy Boys once. We can leave a trail of jewels into one cave. Uh-huh. And then we can hide out in another. And when the Fratellis go into that cave, then we can make a run for it. Yeah. It is all to do with this culture of passing on the enthusiasm. I looked up after this because I literally thought, what is this? And thought, this is a Little Rascals movie, which are the 1920s silent things where there was a fat kid and they had adventures in, the, in, in sort of depression era silent cinema. They're gangs of kids who had amazing adventures. That feels like a sentimental yeah. 20s, 30s I movie. I mean, Bugsy Malone is actually uh, literally a literal remake uh, almost of that. Yes, and it's set in that era. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But you watch these movies and the Raiders is just the feeling he had watching 30 serials or... Star Wars is just Flash Gordon. It's trying to capture something from your childhood. But because you capture that spark, uh, if you're Richard Donner and you capture the awe of Superman or the, the fun of a children's adventure serial, you then pass it on to another generation of kids and it's like a relay race. You just pass it on and pass I mean, it on. It's, you know, uh, I, before I came on here today, I did think, I was like, am I, again, as a 45-year-old woman, am I really going to choose The Goonies as, like, <laughs> as, a, as a comfort blanket film? Because that's admitting that I watch children's films still as an adult. <laughs> Um, but and I, I'm always wary of getting too cosy and, and, and nostalgic about things because I, I don't like the idea of you're trying to relive some kind of past, some safe past, because um, that can be a bit thumbsucky sometimes. Yeah. And I sort of try to avoid that. But but actually, also, just get over yourself and just watch the Goonies because it makes you happy. And it's 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 not even that I think it reminds me of my childhood. It's not even nostalgic in that way. I mean, it must be on some level. But it, it's just there's nothing wrong with watching something that isn't going to win an Oscar or, you know, because I watch plenty of those films as well. Um, and I can't remember any of them. And I can't remember any of them. When they finish, I have that problem with Oscar winning films. I was at the end of it, I go, did I, did I, I watch that? I don't know what it was about. I have, I have fights with my wife sometimes. Did we watch that one? Yes, we did watch that one. We watched it last year. Yeah. We should get around to watching that one. We have watched it. There's it few... made no impact at all. The Goonies, I remember. But, that, but, that, but exactly. I mean, something like Licorice Pizza, which I very much enjoyed, yeah. but it's like two hours of almost like oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, actually. Similar yeah. thing. Like It's a sort of mood piece of an era of, yeah. of, of Hollywood. And you go, oh, this is amazing. Someone's got enough money that they can literally recreate 1960s LA. Yeah. And, and I feel like I'm there. And that's amazing. It's almost like time travel, but, but in terms of a story. And also given that money, you could build a pirate ship. You could build a pirate you could ship. Flood my, yeah. Studio 16 at Burbank. Yes. Put a pirate ship in it. What a waste of Why money. Why wouldn't you do Why that? I think that's the truth of it is what you're capturing in this. And if there's something this film is about, probably almost more than any film I've ever seen Spielberg involved with, this is about play. This is the kind of thing you pretended to play with your friends. I certainly did. You go to the woods and pretend to look for treasure. Yeah, of course. And it feels, it's got the energy of a game you used to play. And you talk to any scientist and they say the thing about human beings is that play is very, very important to us. And we sometimes feel we grow out of play or we pretend we've grown out of playing. Any film that captures the essence of playing, pretending to be brave, practicing going on an adventure, these are useful skills. Yeah. Especially if, as you are the lead character, you're a scared kid who's been told to be cautious. This is an important version of play. What would it be like for you if you went on this adventure? Or what would it be like for you if you went on a film set? 
Yeah. What would imagine the impossible thing? Play it. And this film is just about playing with a huge budget and incredibly skilled production designers and things to make a story you'd probably write for a school assignment seem real. Come join your friends, you wiggles. Are you And it's also about, which I realised watching it this time round when I was trying to look at it through the eyes of a film critic rather yeah, than just thank you. think. Did you yeah. put glasses on? Well, I, I did. I, I stroked my chin a lot That's while good. I was watching it. What the message of it, such as it is, is that adventure, pirate treasure, all of that stuff. But actually, it starts off with a poor community. That the, the Goonies yeah. are. They live in the. The reason they're called Goonies is because they live in the Goondocks, which was a poor area of of this uh, Astoria in Oregon. And they're about to have their houses demolished by the rich kids from the country club. Yeah. And they're going to all have to move out of Astoria. So it's sort of rich v poor. Yeah. And by the end of it, the reason the the Fratelli's come unstuck is because they're confronted with this. So when they're in the pirate ship, they finally found the gold. The Goonies. Sean Astin says, "Don't take that plate that's sitting in front of one yeah. of Willie because that's his. So you can take anything else." It's cool. Lord. But when the Fratellis come in a few minutes later, because they're greedy, they grab the yeah. gold and they set off a tri- you know, the trigger of various events that then happen. They have to, they get caught by the police. So it's like, it's saying, it's sort of, I mean, it's, it's not saying capitalism is bad at all. But it's saying that, yeah, greed, greed is bad. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what the dates are. Is this the same year as Wall Street? It's Maybe, around the same yeah. time. This is right in the middle of Reagan. You should not be punished for being greedy, was the big message. Yes. Being greedy is fine. And this film says, take your fair share. And also, if you don't have your fair share, you're entitled to maybe redistribution of wealth of some sort. Yes. But don't take more than you need. Yes. And it's a really sweet, simple fairy tale. I mean, I think, isn't that? Jack and the Beanstalk, where he takes from the giant, he takes, he he mustn't take too much. It's almost like it's got a fairy tale thing going. If you are greedy and you take too yes. much, it's a very, very fairy tale morality to it. And the bad guys want, I mean, Fratelli's are poor as well, but they want yes, everything. No, that's true. They take too much. Yeah. And it's, it just says there are limits to what you should seize and what you deserve. There is. And the final, one of the final lines in the film is from Brandon and, and Mikey's dad, the sort of slightly ineffectual, very sweet academic yeah. gentleman. And he says, you know, Mikey's apologising. He said, "We had so we had all the gold in our hands. We we let it slip away. I'm so sorry we couldn't save the house." And he says, "That's all right. You and Brand are home safe with your mom and me. That makes us the richest people in this story." Yeah. And it's like, oh, <laughs> and that's the sort of lesson. And then they find lots of gemstones, and it's all fine. They find, but they don't but, have all the treasure. They don't come out. It's a, it's a no. story in which I remember when I used to write these stories as a kid. I'd come out with big bags of loot because that means I won the most. I had the biggest. The score was very high. It was like a video game. Or they they could come up with a high score, and they don't. They come up with just enough to get them out of trouble. And it's got a love again. It's a fairy tale thing. Don't be greedy. Uh, bandits get punished for taking things they don't deserve, and they also get punished for not thinking about other people. That's Willie's. One eye Willie. They raid his stuff, but they respect him. These are very un-American messages because the point about America is built on just going and taking stuff that isn't yours. Yeah. Land, fortune, riches, mineral rights, all that sort of stuff. This is a thing that says the people we'd like to be would be people who are a bit more decent. Than yeah. That. Save that for Willie. Oh, such a great film. Holy Mary, mother of God. Look at that. good isn't it i think if more americans watch this yeah it will solve all the problems i really th- i genuinely think that <laughs> I, I i mean i i do have a goonies t-shirt somewhere which i i think i'm just going to me- get those printed up it says goonies never say die on it and i think that's a message for our t- listen a message for our times this is quite powerful. we've got to rise up uh the the good and the brave and even the kind if, even if big stones fall on you even if big stones fall on you and if you see a well don't climb out of the well keep on going because there's not an octopus at the end, even though you think there might be, <laughs> even though you'll say afterwards there was. Yeah, I mean, we can work on the message, messaging, it's, it's exact messaging. Mug on the back, like, yeah. a, like, like lo- a lot of text on the back of the yes, T-shirt. But exactly. on the front, Guido Sado, thank you for bringing the goodies. Oh, my absolute pleasure. What a treat. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs>